630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, we should have some new Oilers highlights to work into that intro in the days and weeks to come. Game tomorrow, exhibition against Calgary, 6 o'clock face-off show. Puck will drop at 8.30. And then Saturday, game one against the Chicago Blackhawks, qualifying round, 11 a.m. face-off show. And that game will start at 1. Jack Michaels, Bob Stoffer, Rob Brown, and me bringing you the Oilers coverage as we get into the completion of the 2019-2020 season. Blue Jays in action today, 4-1 lead over Washington. That game in the bottom of the sixth. Now let's contrast hockey and baseball. The NHL reporting zero positive tests for the coronavirus last week. That's from July 18th to 25th. It administered over 4,200 tests to more than 800 players. Baseball, which is not using the bubble. Teams are traveling around to try to complete a 60-game season. Well, more than a dozen Miami Marlins players and staff members testing positive. The Marlins home opener against Baltimore called off, as was the Yankees game at Philadelphia. The Yankees would have been in the same clubhouse that the Marlins used last weekend. So that's what's going on in Major League Baseball. But hockey is ready to roll. I'm sure you've been seeing a lot of the coverage of teams getting into Edmonton and Toronto that matter but into the bubble here in Edmonton yesterday and uh, skating today in Edmonton and hanging out in uh, the different areas that have been set up for them it was really interesting this afternoon I was on a uh, a zoom meeting a zoom conference call about some of the NHL broadcast procedures and changes and things we have to worry about in the radio and tv side getting into these games and Steve Mayer was uh, on the call and he's the NHL's chief content officer. You've probably seen him interviewed or heard him interviewed. We've played clips from him over the past few days here at Inside Sports. And by the way, I should mention, he will be a guest on the Faceoff show tomorrow night. We have him scheduled for 7.05, and he's a really interesting man. So he, for his portion of the call, he held up his phone, and he walked from Sutton Place to Rogers Place to show the path that the players take. He had to cross 101st Street downtown, there, I'm sure you've seen the fencing, the gates that are set up. So when it was safe to cross, when the when the cars were stopped, uh, a security guard swung the gate open. He crossed. There, he did pass the odd uh, odd group of players inside this fenced off area, part of the bubble. So he crosses 101st. He gets into the other part of the bubble. He walked past the JW Marriott. He didn't go into the Marriott, but then he looped around into that courtyard where Rogers place uh, spills out into the plaza fort hall would empty out into the plaza there were some players there uh getting some food hanging out uh, they got a hoop there uh, i think they're uh, i can't remember i saw a table tennis uh ping pong table i can't remember if i saw that in a picture from a player's lounge or from outside uh the players were hanging out uh there and then you can go into roger's place he went up went up the stairs went up an escalator and then he was inside fort hall and the testing lanes were set up and at that time it was for minnesota and nashville to get tested and there were some members of each team both players and non-playing personnel there so that that was really cool to get a glimpse inside it i'm not going to be able to give you a first-hand glimpse i've been asked a lot over the last few days hey reed what, what's what, what's going on in the bubble do you have to go stay at a hotel what, what's it like in the bubble i am not going in the bubble and let's face it if you had a bubble would you let a filthy pig like me in 
So I'm not in the bubble. I probably live closer to the bubble than uh, almost anybody else in the Edmonton media. I think Derek Van Deese might live a little bit closer. Uh, but no, I'll be at home and I'll be at the 630 Chet studio, but we'll still be bringing you uh, all the coverage. But basically the practices and the pregame states are now, are, our skates are now closed to the media and uh, the games will be broadcast on TV and on the radio. So that's a little bit about how it looks. But it was really cool to see uh, Steve Mayer's video of him moving through downtown and some familiar streets, familiar buildings, familiar areas that look a little unfamiliar now with some of the fencing that is set up. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. If you would like to get in touch, 780-496-0063 is the number to call, also the number to text. You can follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And if you use the old-fashioned email system, inside sports at 630ched.com. So the Oilers had the Colby Cave Memorial Fund scrimmage on Saturday afternoon. Pretty emotional. I'm sure you've seen the photos. Uh, I tweeted one out of the players saluting Emily Cave and family who was watching from a suite in the downtown community arena. So that was pretty cool. They played for Colby. They were all wearing number 12. They did have their own names on the back of the jerseys. They'll be auctioned off at a later date with proceeds going to the Colby Cave Memorial Fund. Uh, Philip Broberg continues to look good. Dreisaitl was uh, his team lost in that game, but he was dangerous. I, I thought Ennis and Yamamoto, pretty good line with Dreisaitl. And, uh, I mean, Connor McDavid looks outstanding. Some good connections with Nugent Hopkins in that game. Riley Sheehan left the scrimmage in uh, the first period. Head coach Dave Tippett said uh, should see him back skating with the team in the next day or two. Darnell Nurse didn't participate in the scrimmage, but uh, no issues uh, with him as we move closer to the games actually counting in the standings. So that was what the Oilers did uh, on Saturday. And then yesterday was move in. You got to move into the hotel. And Mike Smith tells you how that felt. It's definitely unique. I think reality definitely set in yesterday when you bring your uh, luggage into a hotel room um, after you drive to the ring 10 minutes you know, from your house here in Edmonton. So... Um, the only thing that's a good thing is that it's unique for everybody. Everyone's going to the same thing. Um, everyone's staying in, you know, these two hotels and playing in the same arena, um, dressing in different, uh, dress rooms every day, but it's all kind of new to everyone. Um, I think the team with, uh, the, the biggest mental strength, strongest mental strength is going to, is going to, you know, probably lift the Stanley Cup this year. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all in this, we're, we're all in a new situation. So we're kind of going day by day here right now. Yeah. So, so there you have it. And the Oilers packing up to go not that far for, for, for most of them. I mean, it's not like anybody lives out in Hinton or something. They're all driving within Edmonton to go inside the bubble. Not that there would be anything wrong in living in Hinton, by the way. I actually think it would be a great place for an NHL expansion franchise. But driving from wherever they live and uh, and moving into a hotel for however long they last. And as Mike Smith said, it, the, the mental strength is going to be a test. I'm sure they'll develop routines inside Rogers place. Uh, they will have access to food and entertainment, the movie theaters downtown. Um, but um, certainly the, the pace of life is going to be a little different and no travel. I mean, such a big part of an NHL team's life from September to whenever their season is over is, is travel. And now, everything's all in one place. I, I, that'll be interesting to see how it affects the games because, you know, the travel can wear teams down a little bit, wear players down a little bit. That won't be a factor at all. So they move in, they're getting set up, 
and Matt Benning with some initial impressions on life inside the bubble. Yeah, I think for the most part, everything's uh, pretty comfortable. I think, I mean, we've only been here a day, but uh, the player lounges are really nice. The food amenities are really nice. Uh, for the first five days, we're, we're kind of supposed to stay away from other teams. So I think some guys haven't really ventured uh, kind of in the bubble. Um, so I can't really answer that, that question fully. But um, from what they have on the PowerPoint presentations, it, it looks really nice. Um, I, I think, I mean, I haven't really heard anyone complaining or, or that sort of thing. And then there's stuff for guys to do, uh, which I think was a concern for some of the guys. So Benning mentioning there, they're still being encouraged to stay away from players on other teams for the next five days or so. I gave that stat about no positive tests in the NHL. I mean, it is possible for a player who is positive to have come into the bubble because sometimes it can take three, four, five days for a positive test to register even after you have the virus. The the NHL clearly hoping that isn't the case. Uh, But I'll tell you this, I, I I don't think that certainly guys have friends on other teams, former teammates on other teams, but the Stanley Cup is on the line here. And I don't know if there would be a ton of socializing outside of your team when the stakes are this high. I'm not sure that Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk are going to say, hey, let's meet by the basketball hoop and play a game of horse. Let's play some 21. I don't know if that's going to start happening. So anyway, there, there are some rules for them to follow here while they're inside the bubble. Cowtown Bob texting in. He says, hi, Reed. Do you know if the NHL has hired comics to entertain the players, given that between Edmonton and Toronto, there is a double bubble? I will let you chew on that for a while. That should come. Uh, was it the was it double bubble or Bazooka Joe that had the comic strips inside, or did they both have it, Kelly? They they both had them in there. Uh, Bazooka Joe had his own line, and then there was double bubble had their own kind of little one frame funnies, I guess. All right, good stuff. Well, I do appreciate that from Cowtown, Bob. You worked a lot of references in there. That is good. So the games start tomorrow. I'm really curious to see how they're going to look on television. I don't think that the NHL is going to unveil everything from a broadcast perspective tomorrow. I think we'll see all of it in full force when the games start to count on August 1st. Numerous pictures on social media. I I referenced the NHL video I watched last week and, and was on another conference call about that. Uh, I think that one was on Friday. Yeah, it was there, for, there was one on Friday as well. Um, no fans, so sections tarped off, but huge video screens in the sections behind the benches and going down into the corners, extra cameras put in. So I think for the, the viewer at home, it's it's going to be like watching a broadcast, but now some steroids injected into it. I'm curious to see how it's going to sound. They're using EA Sports to uh, provide sort of a soundscape for the games. Uh, I was on another broadcast call today, and it sounds like they're, they're going to start it off relatively low and then see what they work in in terms of crowd noise and when to punch it up and try to add some vibe that the players would probably hear some of, but would also be broadcast. So that's another thing to listen for when the games get going. But, uh, of course, no fans is going to be incredibly different for the players if you ever go to a game at Rogers place or an NHL game, you know that it's not full for the warm up. but there usually will are fans that will gather around the runways or around the glass, maybe try to get a glimpse of a favorite player, get a puck, get a wave, get a high five. Maybe when the players are going off through the tunnel, that's all gone. The players will come out to an empty rink and play the game in front of an empty rink. And Oscar Clefbaum was uh, asked what he thinks if, uh, if there can be some excitement, even without fans. 
Well, I think uh, I think most of the guys who's in here is going to have been waiting for a long time to start playing again. Um, I think we're all ready to go, and like like these guys said, I think we've been doing a pretty good job to to stay in shape and have a good intensity um, at practice here um, last couple of weeks. So I think we're more than ready, and, and obviously it would be uh, it would be fun to have a, a lot of fans in here. But um, it's a tough situation; it's crazy times, but we got to do the best of it. All right, and Dave Tippett also curious about the response will be without fans. Uh, you know what? I'm interested to see how the players react. I've been out in the bowl and looked at it. It looks really, I mean, I'm interested to see how it, it comes out on TV also, but the, the bowl looks very different than just an empty arena. So, um, you know, once the players get out there and kind of take that in, uh, I'm not sure how it'll go with whether there's music or crowd noise or whatever they're going to pump in there. But uh, I think everybody's kind of wondering how it's going to go. Ultimately, the players, you know, our group, we've talked about making sure that we're focused on the task at hand, whether there's noise, not noise, um, you know, whatever it may be. We've got to we've got to still play to the capabilities uh, that we expect. And uh, those other things can they can become distractions if you let them. But, you know, for our group, we've talked about not letting anything, whether it's quiet or noise or no fans, whatever it is, that's, that can't be a distraction. All right, a little bit there from Dave Tippett. Have a, have a couple questions coming in here from listeners. I will address those when we get back. 780-496-0063 is our number. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Tomorrow in this time slot, it'll be the City Fort Faceoff show, getting you ready for the Oilers and the Flames. That will commence at 8.30, exhibition action, and then we roll into the postseason. Uh, somebody called in, uh, left a note here for Kellen, so I will read this. Are the people preparing food and drink for the players in the bubble as well, or are they allowed to go in and out? Okay, well, I have the NHL's return to play uh document here because we can get it through the nhl media site so i'll read you this and then i'll explain it how uh, i heard it explained a couple of weeks ago during phase four certain individuals including hotel and arena personnel will be working within the secure zone but not staying at a secure zone hotel for the safety of those who will be within the secure zone those individuals will have limited access rights to groups one and two those being the players um, those ind- these individuals must meet certain conditions described on page eight of the protocol. All right. So yeah, here's the thing. If I'll give you an example, let's say, uh, I am, uh, working in a hotel and I have to go clean Kellen Kennedy's room and Kellen plays for the, uh, for the, uh, Hinton, uh, what do they have there? The, 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 what kind of plant do they have? The paper, the paper mill, pulp mill, the pulp mill, sorry that he plays for the Hinton pulpers. So when Kellen is practicing with his pulper teammates, I go into Kellen's hotel room and I clean it. And, you know, I have to make sure I'm healthy going in, you know, and have a temperature check and all that kind of stuff. And then, so there's no interaction. And then if let's say I am a, you know, a server for a a buffet. So when the meal is put out, uh, I, 
and th- I, this was actually uh, outlined in, in, in something they talked about a couple of weeks ago. So the food will be put out for the players. The players will go get the food and then they got to clean up after themselves and put all their dirty dishes and everything in a, in a bin or wherever they'll put them. And then once they're gone, then the hotel staff will come in and, and take it all out. So they're limiting interaction that way. So no, if, if for the people working in the hotels or, or the restaurants, they don't have to stay in the bubble and live the bubble life, but they have to follow rules and be healthy and they limit the interaction that they have with the players. So that, that's how that's working. Hopefully that answers that person question, that person's question. Um, will the anthem singer be singing anthems three times a, a day? Well, Michael Buble is doing some of the anthems on Saturday. I don't know if he's doing them for every game. I'll have to find that out. I believe what they're going to do with the anthems is they'll play the home team's anthem singer doing the anthems because they've said they're going to have home team specific chants and the goal horns and those types of things. And I believe that extends to the anthem singers. So for the Oilers, uh, I don't know if he'd be live. It would probably be something on, on tape on the big screen, or I guess he could be filmed. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask Steve Mayer that tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to be the same anthem singer just hanging out and singing anthems throughout the day. This texture says, do you think the intensity will be the same with COVID going on? I can't imagine the players will be getting in each other's faces as much. It's going to be weird, I think. I think the intensity will be the same. And if it's not for some teams, they will be quickly eliminated. I, I, I think, I mean, you got to remember, these guys play hockey for a living. So they're used to competing. They want to get back to doing their jobs. They know the Stanley Cup is on the line. I, I mean, I'll never forget what a player said to me a couple of months ago when this was still kind of uncertain and all, oh, if they come back, is it going to be the COVID cop? And the players said, well, sure, it's going to be different, but if we win the Stanley cup, I'm not going to stop them from putting my name on it. <laughs> right. And, and what did Mike Smith say in the clip I played earlier this half hour, the team with the most mental strength is going to be the one lifting the cup. So I, I don't think, I, I don't think intensity is going into going to be an issue. I think once the playoffs get rolling and you get deeper and deeper in, I think it will be the Stanley cup playoffs. I really do. Okay. More on the Oilers and, uh, and the bubble, some comments uh, from Ken Holland, a little more from Dave Tippett. We'll also catch up with Ken Reed author, also an anchor on Sportsnet. He wrote a book with Eddie Shack. Of course, Eddie Shack. Top of the eighth, Blue Jays leading Washington 4-1. Blue Jays have put closer Ken Giles on the injured list with an elbow injury. Left Toronto's loss to Tampa Bay on Sunday with soreness in his right elbow. The team awaiting results of an MRI to figure out how bad the injury is. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Oilers and Flames tomorrow on 6.30. Chad, face-off show is at 6. The game will start at 8.30. Oilers head coach Dave Tippett with his focus for the game. Uh, we're trying to get our mind in the right place. Get uh, We've talked about building uh, towards game one right from the start of this camp. And uh, there's certain things you do to click your mind in to get going. We've had a lot of scrimmage time, but you get into a game, you got to get you got to get thinking right. You got to the summer hockey's got to get out of you. You got to get up to speed in a hurry. So just doing little things right. Make sure we're playing the right way. 
and uh, focusing on, on getting better tomorrow. Those would be our goals going into the game. But it's, um, I, I like, I wish we probably had two exhibition games, but uh, we've done lots of scrimmaging, but just to get your mind in the right place so when game one comes, you, you understand what's at stake and the pace you're going to have to play at. Yeah, it's going to be ramped up uh, even more tomorrow and then even more on Saturday when they take on the Blackhawks, but uh, playing an actual opponent, the Calgary Flames, tomorrow evening. Uh, the scrimmages for the Oilers, I, I thought, were pretty up-tempo, and there was some physicality. They weren't complete no-hitters, but there were some instances where a, a player had another player really lined up for a hit, and, and they're not going to drill a teammate or try to knock him in the next week, but... A little bit of information coming out of the scrimmages. We've talked a lot about Philip Broberg, the defenseman, the first-round draft pick from last summer. Quite frankly, he was excellent. I mean, if I had just walked in and and not really known much about the team or who was who, I, I probably would have thought he was a, a very well-established defenseman in the National Hockey League. He looked completely comfortable. He, he makes plays, and he finishes plays. He scored a goal in the scrimmage on Saturday, had an earlier scrimmage where he scored twice. Moves around the ice very well. Uh, looks like he's he got a bit of a physical side to his game. So very encouraging. Now, I'm not saying he jumps right into the Oilers lineup, but maybe down the road if, if you need him. If it gets with injury problems in the playoffs or, or maybe a couple players slump, slumping, uh, you might feel comfortable him jumping in. Obviously, it would be a different situation than what he was in, but at the very least, makes you feel good down the road for a player like Broberg and Evan Bouchard, too. They were often paired together. And general manager Ken Holland was on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer speaking about Broberg. I was at the link, uh, you know, in in Edmonton. And I saw, him, I think Sweden played a couple of games, and I thought, you know, he was a guy, you know, he, he assessed a, a player that looked like he was going to be a first rounder. Where he's going to go, you got to watch. And I, I liked that he was carrying the puck. And then I went to the World Under 18s, you know, at the end of the year in April, and uh, Broberg was voted the best defense of the tournament. He was, he was, you know, he, he was attacked and he was bringing the puck. He was joining the rush. And then, uh, you know, his role at the World Junior this year in Sweden was a. Uh, you know, he's in a shutdown pair with uh, the, the L.A. King defenseman uh, who went in the first round. Bjornfoot. Um, Bjornfoot. And uh, yeah. they, they were, you know, kind of their shutdown pair. They played against the other team's, you know, top lines. They played on the penalty kill. So he was in a defensive role. You know, you looked at his stats. Uh, this, you know, he's an 18-year-old playing in the Swedish Hockey League. He gets three or four points. It's it's a hard league to get points. So, I think coming here to camp, I know Jim Playfair talked to him early in uh, in uh, when he arrived and told him to feel comfortable and and just play. And I think that's that's what he did. He joined the he joined the rush and. Uh, you know, for two weeks he he played. I think he played good. He's got to. It's got to be great for his uh, confidence to come in here. I mean, we're a team that's going into a 2014 NHL playoff tournament. Our, our players are are excited. Their NHL players are ramped up. It was competitive, and I don't think he really looked uh, looked out of place. He did lots of good things. Certainly, there's areas of his game that you that I think as you start to go forward, you'd like to uh, to, to tweak a little bit. But uh, his his ability to um, to step in and, and, and be comfortable and not really look out of place. Um, again, like I said, it's got to be, be huge for his confidence. Comfortable, not looking out of place. Key words describing defenseman Philip Broberg through Oilers training camp so far. 780-496-0063, the number to call or text. Yakushev, who usually brings a smile to my face, has written in tonight. He says, hello, Reed. We will be having our 25th annual playoff draft on Wednesday. We, too, will be implementing the bubble model. 
After each team enters the building, the door handles will be wiped down. Each team will be given a mask and sanitizer and will be asked to bring their own pen. Each participant will be seated eight feet apart. Each team will pick one player and then get the hell out. That is from, that is from Yakushev, uh, the bubble model for their 25th annual NHL playoff draft on Wednesday. Well, pretty cool, Yakushev. 25 years, still going strong. How many people? How many people have been in the draft every year? Tell you what, Kellen, let's make that our off-topic topic tonight. You can text in. Okay. Uh, what is the longest you have been, for, for people out there listening, what is the longest you have been in a continuous draft or pool? Ooh. So whether it's hockey, baseball, football, uh, and, and where the participants either haven't changed or have, have remained pretty steady. You know, I mean, if you're in a, if you're, if you've been doing a hockey draft for 20 years, but you keep bouncing around to different drafts, don't Blake, where, you know, maybe there's eight people, 10 people, 12, 15, where it's pretty much been the same group for a long, long time. I'm curious. And, and how are you handling your draft here going into the playoffs uh, with this, the season being interrupted? Anyway. Just a little off-topic topic there, 780-496-0063. We want to get to this. uh, One of the biggest personalities in the sport of hockey passed away over the weekend. Eddie Shack passed away from throat cancer on Saturday at the age of 83. To share some memories of Eddie Shack. welcome back to the show, author Ken Reed. Ken, how are you doing? Very good, Reed. Thanks for having me, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show, and we wish it was uh, under better circumstances, but I think appropriate to speak to you. Eddie Shack has passed away, certainly one of the most colorful characters in the world of hockey, and, and, and you got to know him quite well. Tell us, first of all, how the, how the book got off the ground here. Yeah, well, uh, I got contacted from uh, Brian Aaronworth. Uh, he runs Frameworth Sports here in Toronto. It's a memorabilia shop. They do a lot of signings, and Eddie did a lot of signings for him over the years, and Eddie's house was close to where Brian's uh, shop was, so Eddie was always hanging out. He and Brian are good friends, and Eddie would tell Brian all these stories. And Brian said, "Man, you got to make a book." And they chatted about it and chatted about it. And uh, Brian and our buddies, he knew I'd uh, written a bit, so he called me up, said, "Do you want to meet with Eddie Shack?" I said, "Well, absolutely." So uh, I went and met with Eddie and laughed for about four hours. And then it was uh, Brian said he wanted the book uh, by basically to be ready for. To be ready for Christmas, uh, fall 2019, so just last fall, and that meant I had about three months to do it. So I looked at him like he was crazy, but he's a, he's a great businessman, and uh, away we went. And we did it in record time, and we had an absolute blast, and it was so cool just to, to sit with Eddie Shack and listen to his stories and pick his brains and be invited into his home and meet his wife, meet all these friends of his, talk to all these people who had these incredible Eddie Shack stories because... One thing about Eddie, uh, I swear he must lead the league in most Canadians met by a former hockey player because he toured all across Canada with Pop Shop, with old-timers hockey teams, and everyone he met walked away with a story, their Eddie Shack story. Everyone in, everyone in Canada seems to have an Eddie Shack story that's a hockey fan, and he didn't just scribble his name down for an autograph. He'd, he'd chat or he'd do something outrageous, and people are usually left smiling, shaking their heads, maybe both, and... Uh, I think it's safe to say there will never be another Eddie Shack in the game of hockey. 
So when you sit down with someone like that, and, and you mentioned Eddie, I mean, not just obviously over a thousand games in the NHL and tons of hockey stories, but all the interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Did, like, did you go to a session saying, okay, Eddie, let's just talk about this today? And did you try to yeah. keep it in, in one thing? Or did you just kind of say, okay, Eddie, I'm hitting play and record and, uh, yeah. and go at it? I'd often go in with an idea of where I wanted to go. I, you know, it kind of will do his life chronologically to keep it simple for me. But it would uh, start in one place and and go seven thousand directions into another. You know, it wasn't like a, a neatly wrapped threes company episode with a plot and a subplot and then an ending. It was we were all over the place, and that's what made it so much fun. It was it was totally unpredictable, and I didn't know what I was going to get out of them or what we were going to chat about on a daily basis and. You know, a lot of it was funny. Uh, some of it was serious and at times reflective. And when Eddie was reflective, those were in his serious moments when he, he kind of wasn't the entertainer. He was just Eddie, the, the, the 82-year-old guy at that point, who was pretty happy with the life he'd lived. And uh, I got to see a pretty cool side of Eddie. Um, I guess not, not a totally serious side because I don't think Eddie was ever totally serious unless he was counting the nickels and dimes. But... He was a guy that uh, obviously had his limitations, but didn't let his limitations limit him. And that's what I really got out of Eddie. Because, I mean, we'd, we'd start talking about, you know, him going to school. And the next thing we'd, we'd end up about him hating his coach, Phil Watson, or how he lost his driver's license when he was 13. We literally just went everywhere. It was, it was, there was no telling what he was going to say on any given day. So all that energy and, and all that, uh, that that work ethic, like you said, maybe limited in some ways, but had this incredible career. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think he's one of those people that he just sort of had that? Was there something that really shaped him, you think, when he um, was younger? Yeah, well, well, he, he was never a scholar, so he really didn't go to school. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you looked back from this, this day and age, you'd probably maybe diagnose him as dyslexic. Of course, in Sudbury in 1943, they're not really going around diagnosing kids as that. They would just label them, unfortunately. And Eddie was labeled as a kid who couldn't read and write. But instead of letting that shut him down, he said, well, I might not be able to read and write, but I can work. So he's a butcher by the time he's 12. He'd always worked. He, 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 Eddie played in a straight line. If you look at a lot of old pitchers from Eddie Shack, he's in the air, he's jumping. He never skated around guys he skated through guys and his life off the ice i think that was eddie as well if he wanted something he took a straight line to it he wasn't ashamed to do anything he wasn't he wasn't ashamed of the fact that he couldn't read and write which i think is very admirable eddie was a really smart guy i think a lot of what he did he did with a wink and a chuckle he he knows he knew how to make it work for him and i totally admire the fact that that yeah he, he may not have been what we would traditionally call book smart, but Eddie was a brilliant guy. He really knew how to make it work for himself. And that persona he developed as a player, he just took it, you know, an extra thousand miles off the ice when when you would you could argue he was more known after his playing days than he was during his playing days. Well, that's that's quite a feat. And like, I, I mean, if I add in the playoff games, over 1,100 games in the NHL, so that's that's pretty amazing how he how he's how he's known as, as much for his post kick playing yeah. as well. Ken Reed joining us on Inside Sports, the book hockey's most entertaining stories uh, about Eddie Shack, who of course we lost over the weekend. It's, it's some interesting people you, you met in his life. I mean, did you was it a lot of former uh, teammates you talked to, or did you go down the path of just friends, neighbors, other yeah. colleagues? 
A uh, bit of both. Uh, most fun I had were I spent a couple of days with Ed and his wife Norma in their home. They have a beautiful home in Toronto. Uh, Norma's this beautiful lady, very proper, and she's married to Eddie. Um, Eddie's best buddies were Johnny Bauer and Red Kelly, two proper guys, and Eddie wasn't proper. But I, I would just love, and then Eddie's friends would come over at the house and they'd give me stories and. You know, I'd contact former teammates and, and admirers on the phone, and they'd give me stories. Wayne Gretzky called up. He's, you know, he he said he knew Eddie. The first time he saw Eddie play was at a senior game in Brantford after his uh, after his NHL days were over, and he said he was skating around like a crazy fella. And then he he met him during a pop shop appearance in Edmonton during Wayne's early days with the Oilers. They went out to dinner, but um, whoever Eddie met, he made a connection with. So a lot of his old teammates would laugh and they'd shake their heads. Um, Bobby Hall had some great stories about Eddie um, and, and just what a really good hockey player he was too and people forget that when Eddie came out of junior he was a top top prospect he had a he didn't get along with his first coach Phil Watson in, in New York with the Rangers but Eddie was a top prospect and it, it's kind of it's kind of uh, wild to see how he ended up as Eddie the entertainer shack when coming out of junior he was kind of labeled as this can't miss maybe maybe kind of a wild thoroughbred but if you tamed him who knows what you have, but nobody could ever tame Eddie. That was the beauty of him. You think we'll ever have anybody like that in the NHL again? And I'm no. not suggesting there aren't outgoing players because no. there are, but they're they're very polished and yeah. aware of who they are nowadays. Yeah, not at this level. Um, it's funny because players and a lot of us are into personal brand. What's your brand? Well, Eddie had his brand before anybody knew what that meant. But Eddie's brand was just, here I am. Don't, he always said, don't behave yourself, be yourself. And Eddie had a take it or leave it attitude, take me or leave me attitude. Um, I doubt you'll see any prospects come along that uh, had their driver's license by the age of 13, lost by 13 and a half for drag racing and got it back at 14. I don't think we'll ever see that again. I, I don't think we'll see a guy getting two stick fights with a different opponent 10 years apart. I don't think we'll see a guy steal the the hat off a cop as he goes out for a twirl for the third star. I don't think we'll see a guy hide on his bench from the refs as they're waiting to call a delayed penalty on him. Uh, there's a lot of things Eddie Shack did that I, I don't think you'll see again. Uh, we live in such a very sensitive time as far as uh, political correctness goes. Eddie was not politically correct, made no apologies for it. So I don't think we'll see that again. Eddie, Eddie was his own guy, and I totally, totally admired him for that. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your, your memories and, and your experience of writing the book, Ken. That, that is so awesome to catch up with you. And, and I know you got something else coming out in the fall, so we'll keep tabs on that and have you on again. And, and of course, good to have you back on, on the desk on Sportsnet. Mm -hmm. And enjoy, enjoy doing hockey highlights. You're going to have I, a lot of them. I will, Reed. And i just like to say that over the last day or so, it's been so nice to see so many people share their stories of Eddie, whether it was on social media or face-to-face -face or people just sitting down having a – having a pop and i know eddie is uh, somewhere smiling probably winking saying i pulled it off and he's probably as he would say having a few cocktails so thanks reed right on thanks ken ken reed of course you get him on sportsnet he's written several books and the one with eddie shack hockey's most entertaining stories eddie shack passing away over the weekend Marker. I'm hungry and the hunger will make us I eat 16
Well, great to have Ken Reed on the show. Got to write a book with Eddie Shack, who we lost over the weekend. Uh, what a colorful character he was. Awesome stuff from Ken. 780-496-0063. I asked, what is the longest continuous pool draft, fantasy draft you've been in of, of any type? Doesn't have to be hockey, though I'm sure a lot of them will be, with kind of the same core group of people. Dave writing in, he says, I've been in the same pool with pretty much the same core of people for 22 years. We changed it to a keeper league five years ago and have a wait list for people to join. That's pretty cool. And Dan says, Reed, I've been in the same hockey draft for 30 years since I came of age at 18. This draft had been going for a handful of years with my dad and brother before me. The core members have remained for the balance of the draft duration, which included the regular season and the playoffs. The group size has maintained around 12 to 18. This past regular season ended with the pause with no plans to resume for the upcoming playoffs. So that is interesting from Dan. So Dan, are you going to get it going again for next season? Are you just taking these playoffs off? Or is, is that it for the draft? Hopefully that's not it for the entire draft. But that, that's pretty cool that some people have been at the, in it that long. 780-496-0063. Trucker Dave says, hello, Reed. It was good to hear Mr. Holland today on Oilers Now. He brings a calm to the team they haven't seen since the Glenn Sather days. That is from Trucker Dave. Yeah, I didn't get the full interview with Ken Holland by going to the Oilers Now page on 630Ched.com. He was on with Bob. Earlier, tomorrow in this time slot, we have the face-off show. That'll go from 6 until 8.30, and then the game at 8.30, the Oilers against the Calgary Flames. Kellen, I mentioned I was on that uh, that broadcast meeting earlier today, so mm-hmm. here's something to remember, that the NHL needs 88 minutes between games because there obviously is the chance of a game going to overtime and a game maybe having a lengthy overtime. Now, the round-robin games are regular season games. So in the Western Conference here in Edmonton, that's Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, and St. Louis. They're Mm. playing off against each other for seeding. So if they're tied at the end of regulation time, they'll go three-on-three overtime and a shootout if needed. The qualifying round games, they could go for hours of overtime. So they'll have to adjust the schedule after each game. So they are going to need 88 minutes between games. And generally, the games are starting, as they often do, at 10 or at 40, right? So, I mean, if a game starts at Rogers Place at at 7 during the season, it's usually 7.08 or 7.10. So when we say a game like tomorrow is starting at 8.30, it's probably Mm going to be more like 8.40. So that's how you can kind of gauge how the schedule would be pushed back. If a game does go to an extended overtime, the NHL will pretty quickly announce the adjusted start times for the games to follow in that venue. But you can judge on, well, I mean, you can round it off to about an hour and a half. 88 minutes, they'll need about an hour and a half in between games. So something to keep in mind. And I know some people have been asking me about that. We've been checking in with each Canadian team in the postseason. We'll go to the team you love to hate when we get back. The Toronto Maple Leafs play-by-play voice, Joe Bowen, in the next half hour. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.